0: But more importantly, we want to introduce these founders, brands, and businesses to the city they live in, their neighbors, to make sure Atlanta and the brands they call it home can thrive for generations to come. How did an 80s-style office building in the heart of Buckhead come to house the fourth largest tech hub in the U.S.? In this episode, we talk with David Lightburn and Karen Hooten of Atlanta Tech Village. We talked to them about the gamble of building ATV in a city with almost no reputation for tech startups, and how they've helped transform Atlanta into one of the best places to launch in the nation. First of all, thank you so much for for having me, and you guys have been an organization I know that I've had my eyes on since coming back to Atlanta in uh, the beginning of 2017, after having grown up here moved away and then one of the things just being really excited about this city is sort of the momentum of uh, founders of tech companies starting to call Atlanta home so it's exciting to talk to you guys today about um, kind of the nuts and bolts of, of how you got here but Karen ladies first I would love to hear about your uh, experience growing up. I know you're you are you're semi-local to, to where we sit uh, today and just talk about um, where you grew up and kind of what led you to uh, the career path that you ultimately chose.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me. Uh, definitely one of the few that was actually born and raised here in Atlanta. So love this city, super proud of it. Um, I did leave and go different places but I ended up coming back right where I started. And to your point of what you said, like there is no better place to be a founder and to build a company, I believe, than right here in Atlanta. Um, I have a really interesting background. Obviously, I'm in tech. So as the VP here at Atlanta Tech Village, we're the fourth largest tech hub in America. And we're where so much incredible innovation happens and I get to be right in the heart of it, which is exciting. But this has not always been my path. Uh, and so I was definitely one of those people that wasn't sure what I wanted to major in and dabbled in a lot of different things. Ended up working overseas in Australia for a while, came back for grad school and I have a master's degree as a marriage and family therapist, which sounds weird until you realize I work with, um, hundreds of entrepreneurs (laughs) and I actually get
0: to use that degree all the time. That's sort of perfect. It kind of is.
1: Um, and Right out of grad school, I did some business consulting. I helped launch a coffee company, and then I started a nonprofit uh, that worked in Rwanda with coffee-growing communities. So I've done a lot of different things. Um, and then one of our largest donors uh, knew a man named uh, David Cummings. And at the time, I was kind of burnt out. I'd been doing nonprofit work for about seven years, and I'd built some really cool sustainable projects. And I was just ready for something different. Didn't know anything really about tech, Um, but David was running Pardot, which is a marketing automation firm at the time, and I got an introduction to him. Got hired there. About three months later, he sold Pardot and uh, purchased this building, which was to become Atlanta Tech Village, and tagged me to come over here um, to help build uh, Atlanta Tech Village. So it's been a really crazy ride, and often, like, when I mentor other people, or especially if I'm spending time with younger women, it's this big conversation of, like, what's my major have to be? What's my path? Like, I have to know, and, like, people, I think, sometimes want this, like, ladder or this, like, clear point from A to B, and I always share my story and be like, hang in there, because I didn't even know the job I had existed back in the day. And it's one of those things where Sheryl Sandberg has talked about this in her book, Lean In. But it's, hey, you know what? ladders um, careers used to be ladders where you could go step by step rung by rung for years and then one day you'd be lucky and you could retire and now it's like you know what ladders are out and jungle gyms are in and that means especially for our our younger folks and millennials but also especially entrepreneurs it's like you know what you don't have to go from a to b you can go left and right and up and down and explore opportunities and as long as you're doing great work And um, having a good reputation and building your network, you can walk through those doors with courage to explore new things. Then all of a sudden it makes every kind of step along the way make sense.
0: For sure. Did you have any uh, family members growing up that were into the kind of entrepreneurial scene or had that sort of mindset or um, were you exposed to that at all growing up? Or did you kind of expect that you would sort of go the typical nine to five work for somebody else route?
1: I am not necessarily inside-the-box person yeah. anyway. And so I, my, my dad actually did start his own business. He was a CPA and accountant, and I hate math, so that didn't work out. Um, but there's an element of I was always an adventurer, and I always like to try new things. And if something's really scary or challenging, I was like, ooh, that's scary. I want to go do that and just try it and see if I can do it. So I think I like challenges. And you know, now that I'm in the entrepreneurial space, did I ever – like launch a particular company at a young age. I mean, I, st- I launched a nonprofit, built that from the ground up and helped build two other companies from the ground up, one of them, including Atlanta Tech Village, not as a founder. Um, but it's been this really interesting journey to be like, you know what, this is what I'm good at and this is what I like to do. And am I capable of that? And of course, when you look back, I'm sure David's going to have some, he has some great stories about things he launched, but I'm like, all right, was I entrepreneurial as a child? And I'm like, yes, I can tell you some stories about things I was trying to sell and do and like setting up lemonade stands. And then it'd be like, it's dollar, but I don't have change. So I'll take the five, like intentionally kind of like trying to figure out things to upsell. And I think if you look for the spirit, you can kind of know looking back, like, do you have an entrepreneurial spirit? And that can be applied in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be as a founder.
0: David, um, I know we've known each other for a couple of years now, but I realized coming here today, I don't know much about, you know, pre-Tech Village timeframe for you. Tell me what brought you to this point.
2: Yeah, so it was a cold February morning uh, in 1979. Should we go that far back or no? Yeah, love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, so I was born in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, moved down here at an early age. Uh, my dad, uh, due to my dad's job, moved around <laughs> a little bit, So, but I've been in the Atlanta area maybe 25 plus years, uh, spent elementary, high school down here, uh, came back to Atlanta to uh, chase a girl that I ended up marrying, has been married for 15 years, Yes. Um, but went to school for uh, at Rhodes College in Memphis for okay. business uh, administration. Um, we talk about kind of that, you know, were you entrepreneurial being young? I knew I wanted to own a business and run a business, mm-hmm. but I and I, you know, I sold candy to classmates. I would buy it at a candy store and then resell it. There were really sour um, gumballs at the time that were yep. really popular that I'd go and I'd, I'd, I'd you know, buy a, a bag for five bucks and resell those mm-hmm. for you know, 15 or 20 bucks in the hallways. Uh, and then our coupon books, try to go to business and sell coupon books or lawn service business. But I never knew, startups were never on my radar. Yeah. And uh, when I graduated from college, I stayed in Memphis. I took a job with a, a billion dollar healthcare company doing finance and uh, ultimately moved down to Atlanta and ended up doing, uh, op- helped open up the sales office as, a, um, as the non-sales person, so as the business and uh, operations person mm-hmm. for, the, for the office. And realized that I just hated corporate life mm-hmm. and being just a, a cog in the wheel, being just a number. Uh, realized very early on that you're getting promoted the promotions that were happening were based on tenure and less on performance and thought there's not really a path for me here um and i think up into that point uh i always thought hey you you go learn business at at a corporation you go get your mba and then you get better and you keep moving up as karen talked about ladders and then you eventually take over a business or you learn enough that you can start your own business right right? Uh, but you got to learn all of this stuff first (laughs) and then i met david cummings (laughs) he He does a little different no 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 so david and i Um, actually met through our girlfriends at the time, now his wife, Erica, and and my wife, Ginger, uh, playing church league softball, co-ed softball at Peachtree Road, United Methodist Church, right around the corner. Um, I was selling greeting cards um, out of the trunk of my car, more or less. Uh, Tell them more about those greeting cards. They're punny greeting cards. Uh, Punny is funny, right? Yeah, absolutely. P-H-U-N-N-Y, punny is funny, right? It's great. Uh, uh, and uh, we had thirty, a selection of thirty different ones that I designed <laughs> and wrote myself. Um, it was a pretty complete failure, uh, <laughs> unless unless you consider having three thousand of those cards still left in your basement being a success. Uh, I, was in saying, case, I was saying, I going to say, I hope those are still laying around. <laughs> oh yeah, so I hope so, so many bins. bins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so, I, so I got to talking to David. He was like, hey, you should put these cards online. Um, I graduated from college, that put put in time perspective here. I graduated in 01. This was probably in 02, 03, 04, something like that. Yeah. Got to know David. He was doing stuff with Hand and Hill, content management system online. I said, hey, <laughs> you should use put these cards using this system on there. I got to see their offices. We kind of clicked being entrepreneurs. <laughs> Uh and then fast forward um me getting into real estate and loving the idea of being an entrepreneur in real estate because the sky's the limit. There's nothing yeah. that says, Hey, this is what's gonna cap your income potential. It's all on you and what you do day in and day out sure. <clears throat> that's gonna determine your success. And that was way different than what I was experiencing, experiencing in the corporate life. Yeah. And uh and then when I told I I, I uh, offhand told David, Hey, I uh I'd like to uh real estate's really broken i'm doing real estate now and then you know i sold two houses my first year but there's a lot of stuff broken It there's a lot of bad agents there's a mm. lot of misaligned incentives and he's like you should we should start a company and i was like well you do not know how do you don't understand like i don't know how do we even do that like i need to learn about all this he's like you just we just start we just start something and so i put together a business plan and um and and brought it back to him maybe Two or three months later, we kept talking about it, and he said, "Actually, I can't. I can't do this right now." The comp- the other company I just started, was called Pardot, mm-hmm. and it's doing really well. And so this is kind of taking my full attention. So I was like, "Okay, I, under- I understand," but he had started this bug in me about like maybe I should do something not just as a real estate agent or a broker, but something about the industry. Yeah. Um, and I was passionate about it. I was waking up every day reading and writing about real estate, and I loved that. Uh, came back maybe six, eight months later, something like that to David and said, I'm gonna do this regardless, but I'd like for you to be involved with it. What do you think? And he said, great, this is great timing. Once you come in? This is probably December of 08, maybe. Uh, and if you remember, real estate market was pretty bad. In, yeah. you know, It peaked in maybe August of 2007, 08, 09, 10 were really, really bad. Yeah. But I was- I bought getting,
0: a house super cheap in December. Of there 08. you go, so you can get a house yeah. really cheap then. There you that go. was great timing on your part. Yes.
2: And uh, so, I, so I said, uh, he said, come on in, let's start, let's start this company, and you'll work from the Pardot offices. So I, I essentially got it onboarded as a Pardot employee, maybe 18, 19, 20, the, the 20th Pardot hmm. employee, something like yeah. that. And got to see uh, up close Pardot scale Yep. And David was running kind of a mini tech village from the Pardot offices. So hmm. the company that we ended up starting together called Clickscape uh, does lead ge- did lead generation and lead management for real estate agents. Yeah. Then Salesloft was working out of there. Rigor with web performance management. So we had these little two person companies sitting right. in desks outside of David's office, and just learned a lot through there. And then in in, in twenty uh, twelve, David sold the company mm-hmm. um, uh, to Exact Target for close to a hundred million dollars as one of the largest bootstrap ex- exits ever and yeah. uh, said, hey, I think we should buy a building. I think that we should do an entrepreneurial hub. What do you, what do you think about that? And as an entrepreneur, there, uh, the, the lack of community that kind of existed, especially at the time, was very siloed, yeah. was something I resonated very much with me. I was living and coming at the time, too. Getting mm-hmm. to Midtown, where any kind of semblance of the startup community did exist, Yeah, uh, was really tough. And I had a young daughter, and so I, I couldn't get down here. And so managing the ups and downs of starting a business was really tough on your own. Sure. So this message of a density of entrepreneurs in one place, a community, that facilitates these faster connections of talent capital and ideas but it's just there for each other through yeah. the ups and downs who gets you your nine to five friends want to understand the ups and downs but <laughs> they don't they don't get it like someone who's gone through it or is going through it too and um, and so so we um, so we started uh, you know Atlanta Tech Village he said hey yeah. can I help help you uh, can you help me buy a building and I said I do residential real estate? I don't know how to <laughs> buy a building. He said you'll figure it out, and we were off, off and
0: running. Yeah. So
1: it was the ugliest 1986 building you've ever seen. True. I, I was going to say there
0: were a lot of those in the Buckhead area yes. at the time, yeah. um, and you know, anybody that's walked past the building, you know, in the last, well, I guess it's you know six years now. Seven. This is seven, our eighth year now. Is it? Yep. Crazy knows that this is not an ugly building anymore. <laughs> so. How do you, who had the vision of, yes, that place is going to be, you know, this super cool hipster startup place, you know, <laughs> that, that people want to go and and be a part of?
2: Well, I think that when we were looking at locations, that was really important to us. Yeah. And so I think that we, especially in the beginning too, we um, were told, ah, that'll never work up in Buckhead. Buckhead is, hmm. uh, you know, finance and commercial real estate and professionals and it's, <laughs> Uh, it, it's, it's not going to work. But we really love this location in particular, being in the corner of Piedmont and Lennox, being able to get down from 400 from yeah. the, the northern burbs, be able to still get up here from Midtown. Um, Path 400 was about to connect hmm. in. is still continuing to connect into the Beltline. Yep. So we love that. We love that there were 12, 15, even more restaurants now, 18, 20 restaurants around here. Yeah. It was very walkable. Um, uh, And then MARTA. Yeah. So MARTA was – there was not the pedestrian bridge at the time. So the pedestrian (laughs) bridge was coming. We thought alternative um, transportation was going to be important. We would have a limited amount of uh, parking spaces here. So we wanted other ways to tie into the city. And so just loved all of that about this particular location. (laughs) And uh, it was big enough too. So we thought – in the beginning too, we thought we'd just do a couple of floors – of the six that we have and the other floors would be um, traditional tenants. And then that plan kind of changed over time as
0: more and more, there's more and more demand for um, desks here. Yeah. Karen, uh, both of you guys having come over from Pardot and kind of having seen what that density of entrepreneurs did over there, what were the early days here like? What was your first initial thought of what this was, was going to be? I know, you know, the, the second word you hear after startup most of the time is pivot. You know, <laughs> it's like we started with this idea and then it ended up being this. Is it what you guys envisioned that it would be or what was your goals in those? Uh, what were your goals early in those days?
1: I'm really excited and proud to say that it's bigger and better than what our initial vision was. Um, so obviously David and David purchased a building and had this vision. I joined like three weeks later. Um, and came into this building and it was pre-renovation and it was dark and dingy and I like found my way up these stairs and was kind of meeting with them and I'm like what's and David was talking about the vision and I got to meet with both of them but kind of what I said earlier is I was like okay never done anything like this I understood the vision and it wasn't something I'd done before but I was like I can do this. Um, and so, literally, I could have stayed at Pardot, which was acquired by Exact Target, which has now been inqu- acquired by Salesforce. So there was a very clear path. I was a marketing manager over there. I was like, I can do this, or I can take the riskier side and like just jump in with these guys and just see what we can build and do. So obviously, what I chose there. Um, was building this place and I think the original vision was like hey let's try to like go through this renovation project what do we want the space to look like what's the feel for the community what do we value like what kind of people do we want in this space Um, And I think we, you know, originally, I think the vision, right, David, was 100 companies. And it was like this dream big of like, what if there were 100 companies in one place? Like, how crazy would that be? And I was like, that's crazy. We can totally do it. I don't know how, but we'll figure it out. Um, And now we have over 300 companies. We operate off a wait list. Um, And the building is a very small piece of that, right? Yes, the building looks cool. You know, we put a lot of love and effort and money into maintaining the building and making sure it meets the needs of our entrepreneurs. But ultimately, I think what makes us really special is the entrepreneurs who choose to call the village home and the quality of people that is, and the culture and the community that we've been able to create, which is kind of that secret sauce. But I think the pattern we're all seeing, like in David's story and my story, and as any entrepreneur listening knows, is it's there's no degree that's going to get you there. There's no like really clear path. I mean, entrepreneurship is an experiential education, right? You learn by doing, and if you let fear stop you, which would have been right, you didn't. You're like, I'm a residential real estate, and I don't know commercial, or like none of us had built a community or worked in a commercial building and it was, we could have let fear or common sense perhaps say, oh, you shouldn't do that. You should choose this safer path. But I think because we didn't and we were able to take those risks, we were able to build something that's been really impactful on the city of Atlanta.
0: Having, you know, run my own company for three years, if somebody asks me, okay, what should I do before I start a company? You know, David, you talked about Oh we just you just have to know everything this is sort of the mindset we had but it's almost like now to prepare yourself to be a founder to prepare yourself to go into entrepreneurship going and working for another small entrepreneur you know of a, of a company of 5 10 15 20 people is almost the best way to just jump in and see the battles that they fight on a daily basis. Would you would you agree with that and do you yeah, see that here in the village?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's eye opening to know on that it's really sexy right now to start a startup to be a founder or an entrepreneur, but not to see behind the scenes all the stuff that goes into it the stress the minutia all the things that have to be done um so yeah i would i would agree with that seeing that firsthand is eye-opening there is there is no roadmap for us we had this vision but we didn't, we allowed it to go where it would go like we had blueprints up on the walls and with about how we wanted to lay out desks and what the vision of the village would be uh once we actually completed the renovation and um uh, it changed after every tour. So we would do a tour. Twenty minutes later, we'd come back. Like okay, people like this, they didn't like that. All right, you know. At one point, and Karen will tell you this. We had we had we were gonna do cars, like fancy sport cars. Sports cars, sport cars.
1: It was literally the worst idea in ever. <laughs> the,
2: in the community center, the idea was like, "Hey, this is really aspirational. It'll be really cool. It'll be kind of a showroom. Maybe we could even roll up the windows, the door, the glass on the, and it'll be really cool. And we'll bring them in and out every couple of months."
1: And this is where diverse teams becomes really important because I was like, "Hey, those are dude goals, y'all. Like, <laughs> dude goals. Like, I get where you're going, but that speaks to a small portion of people and probably not reflective of the community you want to be. And with healthy like healthy conflict I can say a lot that they they were willing to hear myself and another feeble employee at the time just say hey like can we rethink this that's a bad
0: idea
2: yeah, yeah. that's a bad idea and it was a bad idea and I think that's she was on the blueprints there were the outlines of the cars and she's like what exactly are those right there first because if I'm giving these tours I need to know what that is and those are cars and are yeah cars. of course right,
1: right. I yeah. was like are they gonna work out of the cars is there a desk <laughs> on the car <laughs>
2: but so so yeah as we you know as we kind of took even even before companies moved in here what they valued what they were looking for you know this sense of community was really really important and so we started to see some some people you know the, very early on one of the stories we like to tell is a guy showed up with a desktop computer under his arm like two or three weeks in and says like hey I'm here for Atlanta Tech Village and we're like we don't have internet yet like we don't have and he's like but this is where I want to this is where I want to be this is my tribe if this is for entrepreneurs this is where I want to be and we thought okay now we may be onto something here when we hear that like a bit pay is moving up from the Florida area and they want to, be, and, and they end up taking space here and there are th- two, three guys at the time, four guys, two guys. Two guys, um, and have grown to what they've been able to do. But that really early on was like, okay, if they see if there's this much demand for a kind of a community in one place of density, we're we're onto something. And maybe these two floors that we're talking about doing, maybe we can convince David to do all five or six floors and grow from just you know forty thousand square feet to one hundred and three thousand
0: square feet. Eight years ago, when ATV started out, the tech landscape in the city was nothing to write home about. Today, over 300 companies have found a home at the village, and they don't plan on leaving anytime soon.
1: We are the best place to grow and build a startup in the entire Southeast. Uh, So anything that you need as a tech entrepreneur, we work to provide that. Other than you bring the idea and the hard work, uh, ideally, so of course the space, We strongly resist co-working, that kind of terminology. So we want to be a tech hub, not a co-working facility, even though we have a lot of co-working in here. And I think the idea is because we are for tech entrepreneurs. So part of curating that community, you know, you have to have a business plan. And we want to understand, like, do you know what kind of proprietary technology you're working on? Um, And a lot of folks are early stage and you're pre-product and pre-revenue and that's awesome. And then it's finding a community that can support those super early stage all the way up to like a 50 person size company. So mentors, advisors, like where you can get free legal assistance and you can um, have an experienced entrepreneur who's done this a few times walk through like that personal and work life and how are you surviving, right? Um, to of course the physical space the community and all the like fun stuff of like a gym and free snacks and lunch and beer and all the things that would we- yes we do have nap rooms like we have a really cool rooftop and I think sometimes people look at that and they're like oh my gosh do they even work like what is all of that And yes, we like to have a good time, but I think when you're open 24 seven and as an entrepreneur, you know, like what you're doing is very hard is how can you create a place where you always feel is open to you, where it's welcoming to you and it meets your needs And, and entrepreneurs don't work on a nine to five kind of clock. So it's like, how do you help them recruit the best talent? How do you give them access to capital, get them in front of the right people? And I think- size for us has been a really important factor because we are a destination point. So any um, investors or folks from even outside of the city know that they can reach out to us and immediately have access to hundreds of companies that we can then help make those connections for them.
0: That's cool. And you guys have internet now. And we have internet, fast internet. (laughs) Yes, we do. That's awesome.
1: 2.4 gigs of fiber to be accurate.
2: Well, and that's one of the benefits that we talk about, too, is like we talk about the three F's. Karen hit on, on pretty much everything right there. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the faster connections to talent, capital and ideas, yeah. the flexibility of ramping up or ramping down the size of your company, depending on how things are going. No personal guarantees, no <laughs> long term leases. And then uh, the focus, the ability to focus on building your product and talking to customers, sure. the two most important things early on and not having to wor- worry about Internet and dealing right. with those issues. Right? right. Or snacks and drinks and food or help trying to build the culture if we can help surround you with that early on and you focus on customers and building your product that's where we can really uh, help you scale
0: well and you mentioned uh, Karen using this place as a recruiting tool for the companies within you know it's easy to think okay those things are to to draw the companies in but no like that directly affects the ability of the companies that are underneath your roof to uh, recruit talent which is a huge deal for them
1: absolutely like You can work from home, right? And that's great. But are you going to interview a candidate, you know, in a Starbucks? Like you can. But what if you were able to show a candidate, hey, this is your place of work. You are surrounded by like-minded people. We host over 700 events a year from personal and professional that will help anybody grow. Um, So I think that there's a lot of things where we get feedback that our job board is one of the greatest um, kind of values for them because it's a very curated job board and you can list and you know that if people are coming there, they've gone to Atlanta Tech Village and they also, if you're listening and you want to work here, <laughs> our job board's great, Um I think we probably have 50 job postings at any given time. So it's one of those things that it's, if you're going to compete with a Home Depot or you want to hire a CTO and you're like, all right, I've got equity in this, but also look where you can, look what you can be a part of. Uh, I think that's really special, and there's a lot of
0: value there. Certainly. All right. So we talked about how you guys got here. We talked a little bit about what this building is now. Where do you guys see the future of Atlanta Tech Village? What where, where do you where do you hope to be five, ten, fifteen years down down the line?
1: I think one of the things that I would love for people to know about the village is that we don't want to be too insular. Like we are about the city of Atlanta. And so when we look at our overarching goals, we have, you know, we have a lot of really sexy metrics, actually very sexy metrics. Like our startups have raised $1.2 billion to date. We, they have created over 7,000 jobs and we're like seven years in. So we have these amazing metrics. But when we talk about like our goals, it's about moving Atlanta into one of the top five tech cities. It's about creating 10,000 jobs in our first 10 years. So when we're moving towards these goals, it's it's not about Atlanta Tech Village. It's about the city. So say you're not an entrepreneur. Say you're a Fortune 500 and we have amazing partnerships with a lot of really strategic companies to service providers who support our entrepreneurs before our educational partners with our uh, local colleges and universities like Emory and Georgia Tech and Mercer, you have this complete ecosystem. And so sometimes I think people are like, oh, that building, that's for them. I don't get it. But the reality is we we want everyone to know and understand what we're doing, A, to encourage them to be entrepreneurial, to create jobs, to start their own companies, that you have a place to do that here without relocating um but also that it's the success of our entrepreneurs is job creation which impacts individuals and families and the economy and it's like you can keep build that out and, it, and it's something that's really good for the city too um so i don't know five to ten years out delight what do you think
2: well we we feel like we've had a lot, we have a lot of momentum. The city has a lot of momentum. And it's like Karen said, we are for Atlanta entrepreneurs. It doesn't matter if you ever step foot in the village as a member. If you're an entrepreneur in Atlanta, we want to figure out a way to help you. So like we have people reach out that never end up getting membership here and we're helping try to connect wherever we can. We do summer school in the summer for entrepreneurs who are, are want to be, want to be entrepreneurs who want to start a business, but don't know where to get started. So that's an eight week course, um, over the summer. Um, and that's free. That's free, and right. we feed
1: you lunch, and then you get a scholarship if you come to all of the classes.
2: Right. So the idea is that like ninety, what ninety, ninety-five percent of the events that we do are free and open to the mm-hmm. public. And it's like, how do we create this awareness, both with the corporates and with education, and with government, and with uh, entrepreneurs, and 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 just people? So we we had a wedding here, uh, an event, and there's there's that's not a startup event. <laughs> well, I guess it kind of is. You're starting a marriage, right? right. <laughs> but a startup of sorts, <laughs> of, of sorts. Yeah. Um, but the idea is like, hey, somebody that went to the wedding might have a, a friend, a mother, a daughter, a son, a husband, yeah. an uncle that's like, they need to know about this, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a place where they can either start a business or join a startup, you know, getting in, in, ingrained with the schools. And so knowing like there are options for you. I didn't know coming out of school that startups was an option. So I think we want to just keep going deeper, you know, sure. five years, 10 years from now, knowing that startups are a legitimate opportunity. It's a great to do when you're young. There, You can build a great startup in Atlanta. You can get the capital you need, the resources, the people. It's yeah. a tremendous place to build a startup uh, here in Atlanta. And we're in the early innings of a game. So we've got momentum going, but we're in the second or third inning. And for us, this is a 20 or 30 year horizon of what we want to do to transform the landscape of tech in Atlanta. And um, that's exciting. But I think we, we're, 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 we're still really early on. Uh, But there's lots of opportunity.
1: And I love like your point about that we want to be for all people, because I think that's something definitely that at least in the tech sector, we are actively working towards making sure that tech is for all people. So understanding like, hey, if you're an entrepreneur who is a female founder, a founder of color, like whoever and whatever you are we, you have a place here and we have a lot of programs that are helping to kind of build into that with our pre-accelerator program, which is for female founders and founders of color. There's no equity exchange and you can be a part of our um, pre-accelerator and get all the kind of resources and membership that you need at no price to you. Um, We have a lot of women in tech like meetup and workshops and book clubs. So we're doing everything we can to ensure that our community reflects the community of our city.
0: Well, and I wanted to to thank you guys in that regard. I don't know if, I may have told you this before, David, but um, when I first started my company here in Atlanta, I've never worked out of Atlanta Tech Village for a single day, but I came to Startup Chowdown on a Friday and made two or three relationships that day, the one in one day that have led to like substantial business growth. Uh, down the line. That's awesome. Which is amazing, you that. know, yeah. and it's it's just a, a testament to you guys, one, you know, providing opportunities for people that not only work here, but the city as, as a whole. But, you know, we've talked about on this show a lot, a rising tide lifts all boats, right? And I think the city is really going through a season where that is just, you know, infinitely true. Uh, and I, th- I wanted to finish this interview by asking both of you guys, David I know you probably had conversations with people when you were talking about uh this concept that told you yeah that sounds like a great idea but maybe not in Atlanta like this is not the city for that to happen right. and you know now seven going into your eighth year like th- this place has proved that wrong other um you know places in in Atlanta of of similar style, but focused on different types of companies have proved that wrong. What was the city just, were you guys uh, right place, right time? Or what do you think it is about the city of Atlanta that has made these things so successful?
2: Yeah, I think Atlanta has tremendous natural resources. And I think that, I don't know if we did a better job of Telling the story as a whole, um, there's just there's 250,000 university students any given year. So we have tremendous universities. We have uh, you know an airport where you can get anywhere at any time. A low cost of uh, living. You've got these tremendous uh, Fortune 500 and Fortune 1000 companies right in our backyard that are now really you know doing all they can to get involved with startups. Um, and so I think you know some of it is is timing. Um, I think you start to see some success stories come through too, right? So you have a, a David Cummings have an exit, you have AirWatch doing something, you have uh, Green Sky, you have these companies like Salesloft and Calendly and Full Story, MailChimp, obviously, right? Uh, without any venture capital, you have you have all these success stories that are putting Atlanta on the map. And I think that's just, uh, we're doing a better job, or not just we, as, as a city, we're doing a better job of telling the story. But then these success stories are, are, are coming through. And as these entrepreneurs continue to have successes and their teams, then that filters down and then they start investing in the next wave of startups and so this will snowball over time. We're we're accelerating now but this is only going to get exponentially better as those startups that have come through over the last few years have their exits and then they uh, that that money filters through the community and again and again and it just will get bigger and bigger and we don't need to be silicon valley uh, we don't want to be Silicon Valley. There's a lot of stuff that we do really well as Atlanta, and we need to be Atlanta. Uh, the community, the culture, the everything that goes along with Atlanta, that's what makes us great. And um, um, it's just, a, it's a great time to be uh, in Atlanta and building a business.
1: Right. It's like when you're paving a road, you have to have the first person to lay that foundation. And I think when you had, like you had David who came along and, and took a lot of that risk in the beginning, but when you start to see what can be, and the people have gone before you those are those first initial risk takers who also have the ability to give and then choose to do that. I think then you're like, oh, that is possible. I think David was one of the first, you know, who had the funding and the ability and the desire to give back to the community and say, you know what, I'm going to take that risk. And then with our success we have shown oh that's doable and so you have more and more entrepreneurs who are then turning around especially in the tech ecosystem and giving back to the community and having success and that success breeds other success right so once we see someone can do it it's why it's so important that that we do make stories like you're saying tell that story because you know oh my gosh that happened which means i could do that too
2: and that's what helps with the village so much too, right? With with startups, is like that inspirational piece, that aspirational. You sit next to someone who goes on to be a sales loft. You know, Kyle started here with just Kyle. Yeah. And now it's a 400-person company, maybe more, <laughs> right? Like you see that going and you sit in the office right next door and you're like, I, I was there with, with him. I can, I can do yeah. that too. Calendly came here with just Tope at a Startup Chowdown and to see a company grow and scale and be, and be able to see that up close and personal, man, that's special. And that's really uh, what you need in an early days of startups. So you need that hope. You need to be able to see it can be done and people that look like you are doing that. And, mm-hmm. I, and, it's, and, 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 and it gives you that ability uh, and that confidence um, to start the business, to grow your business and to know it is possible.
1: And to be in a community where if you fail, it's OK, right. it sucks, it hurts, but you can then turn around and learn from it. So I think for us in our community, you know, you mentioned Kyle Porter and I was like, Kyle Porter is very open, like his first attempt at Sales Loft failed and it failed really hard. And so what you see the success has been a second attempt and then another pivot from there. Um, and so I think it's really important that we have a community where there's no shame attached to failure because a lot of us will fail. But if you aren't willing to take that risk, then you're not gonna go for it. And so it's like, all right, that sucked. Like, what are you gonna learn from it? Cool, what are you gonna do next? And how are you gonna apply that? And so I think we just all, if you, if you are entrepreneurial, don't be afraid to take that risk and go for that. And then just know if it is a failure, like people are in that with you and then it's not all on you and that you can turn around and make, like as you said in the beginning, like a pivot, like take, take whatever that next thing is and, and apply it
0: make lemons from lemonade. Absolutely. Or make lemonade from lemons. (laughs) One of those. (laughs) One of those. A cold drink. (laughs) That's right. A cold drink. Well, thank you guys so much. I won't take up any more of your time, but appreciate everything you guys are doing here and look forward to uh, following you guys in the future.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having us.
0: For more information on all the things that ATV is doing for the city and to see their upcoming events, visit atlantatechvillage.com. We also want to extend this opportunity for you guys to join the Atlanta Born and Brand family, at least the Facebook group, that is. If you want to interact with the entrepreneurs and founders that you hear on this show, please join us in our Facebook group, the Atlanta Born and Brand family. Stay tuned to the show for more stories from the city's top startups and small businessmen and women. You can do that by subscribing in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you happen to be listening. If you like the show, we'd really appreciate a review and a rating. And of course, share it with your friends. Keep up with the show on social media. We're ATL Born Brand on Instagram and Twitter, and you can also like our Atlanta Born and Brand Facebook page. Finally, you can find all the previous episodes of the show on our website, atlborn.com. Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media. Special thanks go out to our producer Catherine Hilliard and the Connects Media team of Chris Hilliard, Mackenzie Bates, and Andrew Blaylock. For Atlanta Born and Brand and Connects Media, I'm Jonathan Hilliard. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you all soon.